Welcome to this Knowledge Natter by RCVS Knowledge. Here we have friendly and informal discussions with our Knowledge Award champions and those who are empowered by quality improvement in their work. Whether you're a veterinary surgeon, veterinary nurse, receptionist or member of management, quality improvement will and can positively impact your everyday life. Listen and be inspired. Hello everyone and welcome to this RCVS Knowledge Natter. My name is Lee Northway, I'm Clinical Lead RVN at RCBS Knowledge. Tonight I'm really excited to be talking with Lucy Lester and Sophie from Vets Now. They are here to tell us all about their amazing um, award that they have won with their veterinary team this year. So without further ado, Sophie, Lucy, please introduce yourselves and tell us all about you. Thanks Lou, thanks for having us. It's, uh, it's really lovely to be here. Um, so I'm Sophie, I'm a small animal veterinary surgeon um, and I am now part of our sort of clinical standards and professional standards team at Vets Now. Um, so I've gone into that from sort of doing frontline clinical shifts with with Vets Now for the last few years, um, and have been really really heavily involved with sort of quality improvement and things within the business. So it's been a really exciting couple of years. Uh, hi Louise, uh, I'm Lucy. I graduated from the RVC. Um, spent about 10 years in small animal practice, a mixture of day practice and some ECC. Then spent a few years as a university teacher at Nottingham Vet School. Got a GP certificate in forensics and law in 2016. And I've been working for Vets now since then as an internal auditor. So the knowledge that we gained from the audits we kind of use it to identify ways that we can support our clinical teams, um, streamline processes, provide clinical and pastoral support and add information resources to our own, um, intranet and digital learning platform. Amazing. So I mean, you've already started saying sort of how you've navigated your way to QI, but what was it that made you come down this avenue? Go for it, Lucy. <laughs> hmm. Well, I suppose... That's a really quite a difficult question to answer. I suppose it's that feeling of always wanting to do better than you're doing and being aware that, you know, continuous improvement is a good thing. Um, and then realizing it was actually a thing. I think when I interviewed for this role, um, I researched clinical audit and then realised that that was just one part of QI and then found out about what was going on in the human field and how the veterinary field was playing catch up. Um, and there's a lot of uh, QI going on at Vets now, isn't there, Sophie? It's kind of embedded in our culture. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd really agree with Lucy, I guess. Probably I didn't really know what kind of QI or quality improvement actually was until recently, but I probably realised that we're all doing it or I've definitely been doing it for, for years just as a vet mm -hmm. in practice and you just don't really know that you're doing it until you sort of learn a little bit more about it so even when you're thinking about your cases um, you know you go home at the end of the day and you think oh I have that case or you talk to your practice team about something and you think oh, how could we have done things differently or you know things that went really well or, or whatever it is that you talked about that's all sort of quality improvement um, and then I joined Vets Now about seven years ago um, and as Lucy said they're really I guess forward thinking I think in terms of 
quality improvement and things that they've been putting in place for the teams on the front line to to support with their cases. Um, so, you know, ever since I joined Vets Now, we've had things like clinical benchmarking, we've had guidelines, all sorts of things that are really there to, to help us as as teams um, do the best we can for the pets that are on our, in our care, I guess. Um, and then when I moved through the company, I got um, a more senior leadership position. Uh, I was able to start putting some of that into practice with my own team. And that was really, really exciting. Mm -hmm. I was sort of able to actually make changes and see them happening within the clinic. And that was really, really cool. Um, so I guess it's really then that I started learning about it. Um, I did some research and I went through all the stuff on the uh, RCVS Knowledge website as well. So that was probably one of the places I actually started learning sort of what is audit, um, you know, what is quality improvement, sort of all these buzzwords that we have that that talk about all of this stuff. And, and I started to realise we were all just, just doing it anyway. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's probably where I first started really understanding what it was um, and, and, and maybe getting some more sort of experience in putting it into practice as well um rather than just sort of accidentally doing it as it were yeah. yes it sounds to me like you you both really sort of had a bit of a light bulb moment it's like oh mm. this is amazing this makes so much sense we've already been doing it um and then also it being really motivating and empowering for you and your team once you started making those improvements and achievements and seeing good things happen yeah definitely i think that's the biggest thing isn't it is that it's about learning things that you can actually put into real life practice i think sometimes when you're uh, as a as a vet or a nurse or, or whatever whoever you are and you're reading papers and you're reading studies and things it's really hard to apply that knowledge mm -hmm. to the cases that you've got in front of you i think isn't it and i think for me personally starting to do my own sort of audits my own mrn rounds or or whatever parts of it has been in practice has been what made me realize that actually that's what makes the difference for our patients and that's how that next dog or that next cat or whatever it is that you that walks through the door you can say oh well okay yeah we we've seen this and now we're going to do this and and yeah I think that's that's the best bit about it for me yeah absolutely fantastic and I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice and I can imagine the impact um that you both have when you speak to your teams um because we all need to champion champion it and um promote it as much as we can because when i first started learning about quality improvement um i think i was a little bit like you to start with i thought oh this is going to be a tick box exercise it sounds a bit boring and oh it's something that management do it doesn't apply to me but then as i started learning more and i think oh gosh no this is me every day every week every month um yeah absolutely game changing so um, we've already sort of covered where you started to sort of hear and learn about QI. Um, so let's start talking about your actual project. So this was a huge, huge project that you guys did, which is phenomenal. Probably the, one of the biggest QI projects I've, I've come across so far, <laughs> um, full on. But um, where did the inspiration for this specific topic come from? How did it all start? So I'll let Lucy go with that because I sort of came in halfway through it as well, didn't I, Lucy? And, and joined yeah. In. yeah, well, I did as well, really. It's It's been going on. Uh, we've been looking at canine dystocia cases at Vets Now for a whole decade. Mm. And the initial work was done by um, Aoife Reid. Um, well, she was Aoife O'Sullivan then and Dan O'Neill and Amanda Bogue and some other people um, at the RBC. And there were a couple of papers um, published as a result of that. And then 
we um, followed up with two more phases of data collection. Um, but the real turning point was when we formed a working party um, in 2021. Um, Sophie and I and Rachel Marshall, head of clinical nursing, and Aoife, who's head of our EDGE programme. And we wanted to work out how we could disseminate all the knowledge that we'd gained, which was like, a really big challenge because we had so much data. But getting the knowledge to where it was needed was a real challenge. And so that was, yeah, that was our biggest job. But in doing that, we all bought sort of different perspectives and different knowledge. And the collaboration kind of just made it better with each new person that we collaborated with. And we got input from kind of other experts in the business, our um, national clinical lead, Dan Lewis at the time, and Laura Playforth, who was at Vets Now, then our professional standards director. Um, lots of help from Dan, Dan O'Neill um, all the way through, and he helped us to publish the paper. Um, it would, you know, it would have been really difficult without him, wouldn't it, Sophie? <laughs> so, it, yeah, a very long journey very exciting and all about the people that helped us really and not yeah, to so, the, many, so many yeah, people, not, to mention, as well. not to mention the volunteer auditors as soon as we knew we wanted to do another large audit we um asked everyone in the business if they'd like to join in um and we had so many volunteers and those those people made it possible with all their hard work so yeah and I saw also in in the um, sort of overview of the project that in each sort of practice team, there was somebody that was in charge as well of collecting data collection and monitoring things as well. So that must have been quite empowering for teams on a sort of more local level, too. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it, is getting involved um, sort of from the start and really understanding how that can make a difference to your mm. cases in practice. I think one of the biggest things for us as well is we had actually at the time um, that the working party was created, as Lucy said, we actually had lots and lots of sort of, I guess not requests, but um, we, were, we were listening to people who were saying, these are the kind of cases that we're seeing a lot mm. of. Um, and we knew we'd had a big increase in caseload around that time as well um, of these sorts of cases. So actually it was, um, it was the right timing for us to be able to go out with that sort of information as well, because that's what people were, were asking for. That's what they, you know, that's what everybody was saying these are the cases we're seeing and these are the cases that actually we're perhaps finding a little bit challenging. Um, so I think that really helped in terms of knowing that we were um, sort of listening to, mm. to people and, and doing, doing, doing what they were asking for, I guess, in that perspective. Yeah, I'm sure most people listening to this as well will relate to sort of the stress around managing dystopia cases because a lot of people have different approaches and mm -hmm. some sometimes it goes really well, sometimes it goes not so well. Um, and it can really knock your confidence when it doesn't go mm -hmm. so well. Um, and your outcomes from your audit since you've been doing all of this training um, updating guidelines um, and looking at the finer details of how cases have managed you've massively increased um, sort of improved outcomes as well haven't you could you tell me a little bit about that yeah certainly so um, I think dystopia cases like you said they can be really challenging and I think it's like a lot of other cases that we see in veterinary practice 
there's not a wide evidence base out there um and with lots of cases they're not they're not sort of clear cut there's not always an answer one way or the other um and i think often these are the ones that come in in the middle of the night obviously as as vets now we're an out of hours company only so they're the cases that we deal with but i think as a you know as a as a new graduate vet or as a vet in practice often you might be on your own in the practice or it might just be you and a, a small team one nurse or a skeleton team um so they can be really challenging cases to deal with from a communication and a clinical aspect um sort of wise making those decisions in the middle of the night on your own and like i say it's not always sort of that clear cut i think where you're also dealing with lots of lives i think that can add a little bit of pressure on you know you're not mm. just dealing with life of that one pet you've got all the puppies and things as well that that you are trying to make sure that everything's okay and that it you know the outcomes are as best that you can at the end of that um so i think the work we did showed that just simple things you know having the checklists and having the guidelines we're all doing the right things but it can be hard to make those decisions in the middle of yeah. the night when you're, you're stressed when you're yeah. dealing with yeah. those cases um so just having that checklist by your side um sort of thinking right okay it, it decreases that cognitive load i guess and you can just think right okay and, and go through things really really logically um so i think that was probably one of the sort of the biggest outcomes of 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 that whole project really was being able to create those checklists um and support people just in moving through that thought process when dealing with a case i guess yeah i love um your checklists we i have them printed at work actually <laughs> um yeah and they are they are so helpful because like you say when it's you know they always happen in the middle of the night pretty much don't yeah. they um you've already worked a day most of the time unless you have the luxury of being an overnight care provider yeah. Um, uh, and yes, just having almost like a friend, I always view checklists like a friend, really, just to, to check in with and make sure you're on the right path. Um, but they are super easy to follow and all of them are available to download on the RCBS Knowledge website, just for those of you listening. So check those out because um, that's definitely something that's discussed in forums a, a lot as well. How would you, you know, how do you manage them? What do you do? What drugs do you use? What drugs don't you use? Um, and yeah, so your QI project had loads of different elements and one of the big focuses was team training. So how did you deliver that training to so many people? Yeah, so as Lucy touched on earlier, um, we were very aware, you know, at, at Vets now we're in quite a unique situation where we've got 58 sites across the, the company um, and all our sites work as their own teams, which is fantastic. It means, you know, they can work um, and they can make decisions for their teams. Sometimes it can be challenging to distribute information across the whole company. Um, and I think the biggest thing that we learned was to do it in lots of different ways because people learn in different ways, don't they? So mm. I think for us, our, one of our big learns throughout the project was was not only to keep sort of going out with with lots of different ways of doing things, um, but to do it on different forums as well. So. Um, one of the things that we did was we held a discussion forum um for all staff it wasn't just for the clinical staff um it was for for anybody who wanted to attend so that included all members of the team so receptionists and animal care assistants as well um and the idea behind that was really to look at um how the whole team is impacted by these cases because we're really really aware 
that it's not just vets and nurses that that deal with these it is from the moment that the owner mm. steps through the door with their pet it's the whole team that's managing these cases so we we really felt it was really important to get the whole team involved um with not only the data and the, and the research that we'd been doing but to chat about these cases and to come and have a chat with people who perhaps had been managing cases like this in practice for a number of years um and really just to to talk about things and as an open discussion forum um so on that we had some specialists um who came and gave us a hand to talk through some of the more specialist clinical information um but also we just had representatives from different members of the teams essentially um and it was free for everybody to attend and just come and have a chat with us ask questions um we covered clinical aspects but we also did um cover some of the sort of uh more communication aspects around these yep. cases as well so we we tried really hard to address um the things that people found challenging with these types of cases and and really just have an open forum that all our teams could come and um come and talk to us about uh that was recorded so then obviously we were able to disseminate that across um the whole company as well for those that Amazing. couldn't attend the live session yeah. um which worked quite well um and that's available to them all still on our learning our internal learning management system as well Fab. Um, Amazing. which is really good and then like i said yeah we had different sort of with lots of different um we developed a couple of infographics we had the checklists um we've got our learning management system so we were able to put them up on there we were able to put things out in the in the newsletters and things yeah. so it was just about going going on lots of different channels and trying to get people aware of, of what had been what was out there and what was out there to help um with these cases essentially so yeah yeah, I think that the points about um, giving information to people and how you do it is so important. So it can be really hard, can't it? Just being sent like pages of um, text to read all the time. Um, and like you say, some people like visual infographics and things like that. So that's amazing. And the feedback you had, which was included in your um, knowledgeable submission, is, is phenomenal as well. Your teams really enjoyed the training that was um, provided. Yeah, absolutely. We've been, do you know what, we were so lucky, um, I guess, that that everybody, I guess it is a subject that everybody felt passionate about as well, yeah. that's the thing. So, they, so, so lots of people were invested from the beginning and the, the information that was coming out um, was hopefully helping people with their cases which is which is what they need isn't it so um i think from that aspect it was it was really positive and we've definitely you know we had lots of just unsolicited feedback saying thanks and um you know our teams have have taken the time to write in and say oh wouldn't it be fantastic if we could do this or you know yeah so I bet. <laughs> to see the enthusiasm out there it's absolutely yeah. fantastic um you know like people asking and saying oh there's not much information on this we must have so much data let's do something about this yeah. which is just you know it's super exciting and it's it's really the best outcome possible isn't it it's quite addictive isn't it once you start you think oh what else can we improve and when I yeah. look at your submission I think that because you're like well you did this and then you've done this yeah. and then oh you're looking at this now too <laughs> <laughs> so I hope people uh, listening feel inspired and I you know be sat at home thinking or at work oh um you know what could we improve what areas are important to the team what are the things that uh, people worry about or perhaps you know you've, you've been on a webinar and you think oh that was a good idea but I'm not sure how we're doing let's start measuring it so yeah really inspirational um so let's have a little chat about um your achievements so through doing all of this amazing work what things um did we improve what were the what were your sort of top five achievements so I guess for me one of 
our biggest achievements was actually just getting people involved in QI, I guess. I know that sounds a bit corny, perhaps. I love it. No, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) when, When, you know, thinking about it, you'd love it to be sort of something really clinical or something like that. But actually, no, for me, it was just really... Um, seeing the enthusiasm of people wanting to get involved, um, telling us how they were using the information in their cases, using the information myself in my cases, learning. Yeah, it, that I, I think that was one of the biggest things um, that I took away from it and learned from from the whole project, I guess, and would like to take that forwards into to future projects to try and replicate that um, for sure. Yeah, I know. I think that's really special. And um, yeah, something perhaps you don't initially jump to, you always think Mm. of like the actual outcomes with the patient from the patient focus. But when you reflect on how much this would have improved your team culture, communication um, and bringing the different teams together too. Yeah, amazing. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I think the connections that were created between colleagues have just been amazing throughout the, the project and afterwards um that's been really rewarding and a really kind of unexpected I I didn't realize that that would be Mm -hmm. that would be quite such a um a prominent feature and obviously the checklist and the guidelines and the we've added to the literature so yeah really pleasing they want to release their own book now picking up on what Lucy just said I think that's a really important point to make mm-hmm. I, think, yeah. I think we picked up on that earlier about you know in the in the veterinary industry we do often really have a lack of sort of evidence base about mm. a lot of things mm. um or it's very outdated isn't it it's yeah, um yeah exactly and I think practice-based research and things like this is really the way to go isn't it because it's how cases are are being seen in practice now it's not sort of a theoretical study or or something that you know this is absolutely what you might do but it's it's not replicable because of operational things or or whatever else it's it's Mm. something that actually worked for for people within our um company and and what would be really lovely is obviously and one of the reasons we we published the study was was that hopefully you know across the profession that information can be used for for others as well um so that's a really lovely thing to think about but also yeah just contributing to the evidence base so one of the things we're doing more within vets now is using app bar scores a little bit more um for puppies and kittens when they first come out um and actually there's not not a huge again not a huge amount of evidence behind that but wouldn't it be lovely if we can start creating that data and then um, start looking back at that new data that we're building and, and mm. putting into our um, practice management system and start thinking okay well you know this is the next step and this is where we need to go now so that's I think that's really exciting yeah no it is it's like yeah where could you go from here you know <laughs> it's like you've just started building a big amazing pyramid of goodness and um, for those that listen that listening that may not know what APGAR scoring is could you tell us a little bit about that yeah, sure. So um, APGAR scoring actually comes from um, sort of human medicine and it's been used um, in uh, neonatal babies and 
uh, in human medicine for a number of years. And essentially, it's a scoring system um, when a baby is first born, uh, and it's an in, it's an early indicator, I guess, of where interventional help might be needed. Um, so, if a baby comes out and it's struggling a little bit, um, it's a you know it's an early indicator for the clinicians um, that it gives them a clear idea of 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 where that that neonate might be struggling and, and what they might need to do to support it. Um, so it's something that has only been used a little bit in the veterinary world, I guess, for, for a few years. And there's been a, a few studies that have come out and, and we've got a um, we've got a slightly updated system, I guess, that's more applicable to puppies than human babies. Um, but it essentially looks at a, a few different things like breathing and how much the babies, the puppies are moving. Um, and then it can guide our clinicians in saying, right, OK, well, th this puppy needs a little bit of additional support. And, and you know, mm -hmm. this might need a bit of oxygen or we might need to do something a little bit additional or just keep a bit of a closer eye on, on this one. Um, so it's a really useful system um, that can just really help identify and improve outcomes because we, we're able to pick those things up earlier. I think that's something I'm definitely going to take back into practice with me because when you have like a big letter in front of you, my my lip my record, I'm just gonna tell everyone this because I'm really proud, <laughs> was 15 Labrador puppies wow. on my own C section. Yeah. When I was a student nurse about I don't know how long was that ago, 18 years ago, it was absolutely Oh my gosh, I have never I had one. <laughs> um, but you know, day to day, you're thinking, you know, how when you're you're faced with so many lives in front of you, prioritising who needs you know more Which... attention than someone else, um, having something just to rationalise and focus on is really helpful. Yeah, so, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think. What, I think. Do you, um, do you girls have a um a record? Like, yeah. what, what's the biggest litter you've done? <laughs> I don't think I've had one as as many as fifteen. Oh, fifteen. Eleven. <laughs> yeah, is probably my record to be honest. Fifteen's really impressive. <laughs> they were honestly, they were crawling off everywhere. <laughs> it was, I was so unprepared. You know, really sort of rabbit in a headlight student nurse yeah. was with my my boss at the time and. I laid them, I remember putting them in a line on the floor and rubbing them like this with my arm all at the same time. <laughs> and then obviously they were, they were doing great. And then they started like crawling off trying to find the milk cart because, you know, me at the time hadn't got my box ready to put them in, had I? <laughs> Honestly, you live and learn. But um, yeah. yes, I, a checklist back then would have been very helpful. Really? <laughs> I think that's where our vets have an, have an easy job, if I'm really quite honest, because especially if it's a cesarean section, because we get them out and then hand them over to the nurse or whoever's helping us and then you know and you're like another one no not yet <laughs> yeah honestly yeah <laughs> crazy where I live we um have uh mainly like Labradors and Spaniels yeah. so that the Labradors can have large litters but it's not crazy crazy um but in your your vets now um cases you have quite a lot of brachycephalics don't you so they were mm -hmm. quite highly represented in your um audit so I wonder if we could just talk yes. a little bit about those as well because I'm sure this will be significant to a lot of people listening because they are very very popular now but often need help so yeah definitely so I think brachycephalics generally are overrepresented like you say in terms of breeds that need additional support when when giving birth um and uh 
French Bulldogs and Chihuahuas and those sort of breeds were the ones that definitely we we tend to see the most commonly um, that need assistance, not necessarily always that need a cesarean section, but but you know need support of of some kind, whether it be medical or surgery surgical. Um, and generally, the reasoning is. Um, that confirmation so it's you know the the bigger heads and the smaller pelvises essentially mm-hmm. can often cause cause trouble when giving birth um i mean i guess the important thing for us is that uh i guess owners at home are able to recognize when support is needed and that's what we're there for so you know being able to call up um and have a chat with us and we have got for our staff sort of telephone triage checklists and things that they can go through um that can help to decide when an owner needs to come down with their with their pet um and when they need a little bit more support um and it's it's really important for us obviously that the welfare of of all of the animals is is the most important um but yeah it's really that bit of of getting owners to recognize when support mm-hmm. is needed and being able to get them down to the to the clinic um to to see us and, and get that support essentially yeah and what you're saying earlier as well about having sort of like the whole team on board so getting the client care mm-hmm. team in as well to know to ask the right questions um because sometimes there might not be a nurse available to speak to the client themselves things like that super important so i'm sure they were very grateful to be involved in the the discussion and the the, tr- the troubleshooting around everything too yeah definitely i think it's it's really important that anybody front of house dealing dealing with people calling in asking questions about pets is able to understand the process i guess from from start to finish not from a clinical perspective but just understanding what mm-hmm. what the concerns are and what the worries might be and of, of course if anybody is ever worried then it's always best just to go down and, and see your vet and, and get an appointment and get things checked out as well um but yeah i think involving the whole team as you said was was really important um to get everybody understanding how i guess tr- sometimes tricky but yeah important these cases are from a welfare mm. perspective yeah no absolutely um i digress then getting excited about reminiscing on the old times um <laughs> but i wondered can we um go over a few of the other things that you audited more specifically where outcomes were in were improved as well um maybe if we touch on the neonatal heart rate monitoring because that's very interesting yeah sure so that for me was something on a personal level that i really enjoyed learning about actually during the Mm. audit um because i think again like we said earlier there's not been a huge amount of evidence out there um so again neonatal heart monitoring is something that's done a lot in human medicine um and you know monitoring the heart rate can indicate whether the the baby is stressed essentially um Mm. And stress of the baby is one of the things that we use to tell us whether or not we need to get that baby out sooner rather than later, essentially. And it's the same with puppies and kittens. Um, If we have a patient that presents to us, um, we, as the veterinary team, are the ones that are trying to make the decision as to whether this is something, you know, is is the patient just in normal labour or things progressing normally actually is are the puppies stressed do we need to start talking about whether or not medical or surgical intervention is required um so heart rate monitoring is something that we can use um Mm. to help guide us on that um but i think the really difficult thing is is there's no there's been sort of i guess 
no set guidance. One, mm. one thing I always heard was if the puppy's um, heart rates were sort of less than twice that of the mother's, then that was an indicator of stress. But I never really had any sort of firm idea. So I was able to put an ultrasound scanner on and think, OK, well, I've got mm. this, but I can I can count the heart rates, but I don't really know what that means. Um, so part of what we did was look at some of the literature and create some guidelines for our mm. teams about um, trying to give them some more objective um areas that they could count those heart rates and say right okay well if it's in this area we're comfortable as long as you know all other things are going okay that um uh that it's it's probably okay for now but if they're if it's less than this number then maybe we want to intervene a little bit sooner um so part of it was just being able to give our teams the confidence to pick up the scanner sorry i've got a little, little yeah <laughs> it's always someone that joins in isn't there always a cat <laughs> Uh, right on cue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah, one of the things we wanted to do was just to be able to give everybody the confidence to pick up the scanner, um, look for for heart rates in puppies and kittens, count them, think about what that might mean for the patient, and use that with all the other information that they've got about the patient and the situation mm. and the history and everything, um, and be able to sort of come up with a slightly more objective decision. Um, and we were really, really pleased that the amount of people across vets now using ultrasound scanning and recording fetal heart rates really increased um quite dramatically i don't i don't know the numbers off the top of my head i don't know if you lose but i can i can probably tell yeah. you i've got them right in front of me <laughs> here um and also a big part of your improvements was not just on your actual physical outcomes with your patients but um your record keeping teams got really really good at recording everything and um making sure that everything got attached and put in the right place which is another important part of QI. So um, yeah, that was really good. Right, let me just see if I can find it. Uh, where are we? It was, uh, uh, um, I highlighted so much this afternoon <laughs> because I was like, there's so much I want to talk about. Um, we could be here till midnight. Uh, where was it? Um, oh gosh, now I can't see where it was on my, the paperwork. But anyway, it was it was a massive jump um, and really impressive. Yeah, really, really good. Um, so that was amazing. Um, and yeah, certainly I, I wonder sort of how many people that are listening to that, um, to this, are doing that already in practice or whether it's something they will now consider, hopefully. Yeah, um, it's really easy, actually, isn't it? It's um, it's just having the confidence to, to do start it. Start doing it. Or and, yeah. and all of that sort of thing, isn't it? So, yeah, I think um, I, I, I think it's definitely something that's helped me work through my dystocia cases, my trouble giving birth cases. And, um, and it's, a, it's something that I always try and do now for sure yeah yeah so it's yeah amazing I mean like I said there's so many points in here and good things that we could chat about um, <laughs> are there any other things that you re would just love to shout about that um yeah <laughs> have you got anything loose um I think we've shouted about it already <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, it was just the amount of teams, like I said, picking up things that perhaps they hadn't been so confident to mm. do before. So the APGAR scoring, um, mm. you know, the ultrasound scanning, um, using imaging all together. So actually, rate, although we talk about ultrasound um, scanning to monitor fetal heart rates, using radiography to look at positioning, fetal positioning and things like that as well, um, that that was something that the teams 
became a lot more confident doing as well. So um, I think the use of imaging was probably one of the the biggest things. And and that's, mm. you know, in terms of welfare for our patients, that's what helps make us give us those decision making you know it's it builds that picture because that's what i guess that's what you're trying to do with any case isn't it when you when you first see any patient that that comes into a surgery you're building a picture from what mm. the owner tells you of the history you examine the animal and then you start building that picture with with whatever diagnostics it is that you need to do so i think that imaging for us was kind of one of the the real key focuses um that we wanted our teams to be able to to, to get confident using so yeah yeah like you say a radiograph in a chihuahua when you you know it's maybe if it's just one puppy which it sometimes is and yeah. you see this tiny little pelvis and then this big round domed head that's expected yeah. to come through <laughs> it's not gonna so yeah, yeah. no absolutely um and also drug usage as well. It was quite varied, wasn't it, between um, teams? So sort of standardising that a little bit and um, adapting drug protocols improved outcomes as well. I yeah. think we, we were really struck, weren't we, given the um, licensing limitations for analgesia in, in pregnancy, how, um, just how the degree of amazing pain relief that's been given and multimodal analgesia, um, and we're really proud of what a good job our staff were doing in that regard. Yeah, yeah. For, I mean, for years, it was definitely mm-hmm. something, wasn't it, that was sort of everyone worried about mm-hmm. the, the risk mm-hmm. to the puppies if we were giving particular drugs to, to the bitches and, at what, and timings as well. So giving your team support on when it would be appropriate, when would not, not be appropriate um, takes away the anxiety. So I still think that's something that everybody does mm-hmm. worry about. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. And the other thing I wanted to mention as well was about technique of managing the puppies. So um, no longer no longer swinging the puppies because mm-hmm. that's now known to be an outdated technique. Um, and that was certainly something I did back in the day. Yeah. I think, well, if I had time with those 15, I'm not sure I had time to swing any of them. <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, certainly it's something that I have seen in the, in, in previous years too. Yeah, absolutely. It was something I was definitely taught um, as well. And I think it's just really fascinating the amount of new research that that comes out about these sorts of things. Um, but again, it's it's getting it across and getting it into practice um, and understanding what we can do instead, I think, as well. That's the thing. So um, yeah. we went out with some support um some guidelines for neonatal resuscitation um and we're sort of able to say well okay this is something that's that's um sort of perhaps a little bit outdated now but um these are the sorts of things that you can do and again sort of talking about the APGAR scoring was was all part of of that whole part of it as well um so yeah when you said we went off on lots of tangents we we definitely did <laughs> yeah. it started off just just being sort of like the actual trouble giving birth thing and then it's developed into to all sorts of different things which yeah. is been really exciting <laughs> you know so it's just so comprehensive and yeah like every single procedure we do in practice you could build a, a similar like web of qi around yeah. it couldn't you so i hope everyone listening to say get is inspired to start their own projects yeah and um get on board the qi bus as i always say <laughs> and i hope that they i to receive your award um nominations next year <laughs> And I can't wait to see what you guys are going to do next. Can we have um, uh, know a little bit about what, what you might be working on at the moment? Or is it top secret? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no 
top secrets. I mean, you've already said it actually for me. So in my current um, job at Vets Now, I now mainly work from home. Um, and like I said, I'm part of the team that we're responsible for clinical and professional standards, but QI is an absolutely massive part of that. Um, and for me, one of my biggest sort of goals, I guess, of the year would be to see our teams having the confidence to do their own kind of clinical audits and their own little QI projects and things yeah. like that. We, we've got amazing things going on, on across the company and, and, and people come to us with their projects and things all the time, which is just so exciting to see. Um, and I'd love for, for more and more teams just to just have the confidence to do that. So again, one of the things that, that actually came out of this sort of writing this paper accidentally, it wasn't planned from the start, but one of the things that came out of it was um, us building like a little infographic and a support thing for for doing a clinical audit in practice um, so what we're really hoping is that our teams will really um, you know feel inspired and, and want to go and think oh yeah I want to go and look at the last 10 cases that I saw with this or whatever and and, and start doing it themselves and, and sharing what they're doing as well um, so whilst that's not, you know, a central thing, I think that would just be so exciting if we can, yeah, if we can inspire that in, in all of the mm -hmm. individual clinics and teams across the company. Yeah, all the time I have little conversations with my team and I'm like, oh, Lou, I think we should do this or um, can we try and improve this? I'm like, well, we, we need to measure it first, don't we? <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I think it's a bit, there's a bit of, a, it's a movement, isn't it? And um, I feel like everyone is going with it now. And it's really exciting mm. because I do think it really revolutionizes how you view your, your everyday work. Um, when things don't go so well, um, QI helps you process them, manage them together and work through them. And you don't feel like you're on your own anymore. And that team chat is just absolutely invaluable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also really helps you see where things have gone well as well, because I, I mean, I don't know about others, um, but I'm definitely always quite critical. So I always remember the things that perhaps yeah. weren't so positive, but actually, <laughs> you know, probably 99% yeah. of things that you do in a day did go brilliantly and went perfectly fine. And, and it's I think you I can really help you to process that as well and remind you that actually all of those things went went really really well um and and that's why um so yeah i think it's really good for that as yeah, well yeah i really celebrate things when they go well and you make improvements yeah. even if it's like one percent improvement it's still an improvement yeah. <laughs> yeah um did you encounter any problems along the way because it's such a big project like were there any bumps in the road that you had to navigate um i think just the volume of data loose what would you yeah. say just yeah, getting the, we had, we crafted an enormous Excel spreadsheet to collect data and fine tuning that and getting it to work was a challenge. Um, there were um, several kind of cells that we put um, menus and drop down menus and various uh, conditional formatting, which turned out to be not very helpful for the auditors. So we had to remove it, you know, technical details that we yeah. had to tweak. Um, but generally speaking, I think we just learned as we went along. And yeah. I mean, the main thing was we had people wanting to help and be engaged and that was just fantastic. So it kind of grew legs and gathered moss. <laughs> And within that's now, have you all got the same computer systems or do you have slightly different 
types or is it all like integrated can you collect data quite easily uh, yeah yes we've all got access to the practice management system so we can access that remotely yeah and i think we're really really lucky actually one of the things um because we have a bespoke system for vets now one of the the positives about the system is that it is built around coding um, mm. so we're, we're able to sort of collect that data a little bit easier I guess so that's a, a benefit for us within vets now mm. we've got that volume of data there because we've got all of those practices that are automatically putting that data in um, so mm. it's I guess I wouldn't say it's easy but it's I guess it's relatively easy to try and pull that data yeah. out yeah I'm, um, I'm sure some people that uh, were listening just then would be like oh my gosh coding is closed I can't <laughs> do that um, but my advice would be to talk to um, whoever whoever it is that makes your computer software and just see what is what it can do, because um, the one that I use is quite easy, um, much easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, and you don't even have to use uh, computer software to date, um, collect data if your system isn't set up. Um, for example, some of the first audits that I did was just on pieces of paper on my prep room wall, literally probably not GDR, GDPR compliant now, <laughs> if I'm honest, things have improved there. Um, but, you know, it's as simple as that uh, when you want to start collecting and having a look. So I don't want anyone listening to be put off by thinking I have to use a computer, but it does help. And certainly Excel is not my friend. I probably need to do some CPD on that this year. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think that would um, definitely be one of my biggest sort of, I guess, pieces of advice. Having, like Lucy said, we learned so much as we went through the process, um, but also it grew massive arms and legs because of the fact that we did have the benefit that we were able to collect so much data. But actually, um, just keep things simple. You know, like an audit is still an audit if you do it on five cases. It's, mm. you know, it's Absolutely. it's what matters to you and your cases in practice. It's not about collecting, you know, if you want to write a paper and, and all of that sort of thing, I guess it is about collecting statistically significant information and stuff. But if you're doing it to see where you're at now, what you're doing in practice and what things you can you can put in place to change what you're doing in practice, if that's what you need to do, then yeah, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be done on Excel. It doesn't need to be done through the practice management system. So yeah, definitely, I would agree with that. Yes. Yeah, you could just audit the next 10 cases that come through the door, couldn't you? And that would be yeah absolutely brilliant yeah absolutely I mean I, don't get me wrong Lucy I would like to have you in my life at work <laughs> <laughs> um so that would be great <laughs> it would make my life so much easier um but our vets now are very lucky to have you both because I say this is well and your your whole team is amazing but it's such an influential project which is going to benefit dogs and teams for years and years to come and the wider profession too I think when they have a read so your project is available to read in full on the link on the screen which has been up the whole time um, and the checklists we've discussed are available to download um, as well so I hope everybody thinks about doing that and if you're also thinking about doing an audit and you don't know where to start um, on the RCBS knowledge we have everything you could need and more um, what my top recommendation if you want to start um, auditing and you're in primary care is start with your neutering patients we've got a walkthrough we've got a spreadsheet you can download which works out all the, the crazy calculations for you and you just have to fill in the boxes what more could you want <laughs> <laughs> um, and the team RCBS knowledge are also always here to help so if you have any questions or you want some advice please reach out to us um, but I just want to say thank you so much ladies for joining me tonight I've thoroughly loved Firstly, reading um, your submission and also just chatting to you about it now. 
And um, I can't wait to see what you and the team are going to do next. Thank you. Thank you. It's been really, really, really fun tonight. Thanks, Lou. Lovely. I think we'll all do more canine dystopia cases next. <laughs> yeah, well, it's an ongoing process, isn't it? So yeah. it's like, what what are you going to improve next? <laughs> Watch this space. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see over the next couple of years how um, sort of uh, favoured breeds change and whether that will influence how many dogs are coming through the door for um, C-sections as well. So... Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, ladies. Um, it's been great speaking with you and we hope to see you again for our next Knowledge Natter soon. RCVS Knowledge, we open our awards at the end of this year. So if you've already been doing QI in practice, no matter how big or small your project may be, please send them on in. Um, we'd love to read them and good luck. But anyway, that's all from now, us for now. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this recording. Please share it with your colleagues and friends. If you would like to find out more about quality improvement and access our free courses, examples and templates, please visit our quality improvement pages on our website at rcbsknowledge.org.